Those baskets are making their way around. Invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. You know, we're still early enough in 2017 where some of us are still holding on to the new year, new me sort of resolutions we've, we've undertaken, you know, for weight and exercise and calorie counting and all that good stuff. But last week, what we said as we enter 2017, the thing that you and I, whether we know it or not, or are always aware of it, the thing we need the most is a truer, deeper knowledge of God. That is our fundamental, most important need. And that's why we're running hard after prayer here in the month of January. Understanding prayer is not the only way of knowing God, but it most certainly is a primary way of knowing God, of communing with him. And so we're giving our church family a number of on-ramps into prayer this month. So last week, if you were with us, we handed out these prayer booklets, and those are also available today. If you don't have one, you can grab one um, on the way out the door. And, and these are places where you can take sermon notes, you can use in your community groups for questions, you can use in your personal quiet times. Pastor Lance at Midtown put together a little guide to, to guide you through the Lord's Prayer in your personal devotions. But what we are doing here on Sunday mornings is we are learning to pray the way the Lord has called us to pray. And one of the interesting things that we learned last week is that there is not a, 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 any singular pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. There is no me's and, um, and I's and those sorts of things. It's all plural. The, fir- the first words out of Jesus' mouth is our Father. You see, we have to understand that, that prayer is certainly personal. It's not less than personal. If it's less than personal, it's just ritual, it's just legalism, it's just mouthing words. But it's so much more than personal. Jesus says it's the community of God where prayer goes forth and shapes hearts and souls. So one of the things that we're wanting to do this week and that we're providing opportunity to do is to come together as God's people to pray corporately. We're calling these times morning and evening. And so beginning tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. right here, we will have an hour of prayer at 7 a.m. And then in the evening, an hour of prayer at 7 p.m., Monday through Thursday. And Friday, we're rolling through a 24-hour prayer vigil, and here's what we're just asking you to prayerfully consider. Would you come to one hour of one of those times? So we're going to be praying some 30-something hours, and, and we're saying, you know, can the Four Oaks family, can, can you come to one of those? Can you come and be with other believers and taste and see that the Lord is good together as we, as we cry out to God? Don't, don't be fearful. We're not going to make you pray. We're not going to stand up and make you testify. We're not going to do anything like that to embarrass you. We just, even if you just want to come and be with other believers, hear them pray, hear them call out to God, um, we would love for you to do that. So that starts tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. But for today, we are into the section, second section of the Lord's prayer. And remember, the Lord in these 57 words, remarkable, 57 words, manages to gather up all of life and situate it under relationship to God. And it covers everything. And so it's less of a prayer to be sort of mindlessly recited by rote, although we do recite it, and we're going to recite it in just a minute. But fundamentally, it's to be a pattern for how you and I are to engage in relationship with God. And so we, 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 we've talked about this idea of God is above us, God is with us, God is over us. And now we're going to see today how this impacts 
just our daily living. So I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to recite this, say this together. Jesus says, pray then like this. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now let me read the last two verses for us. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we're asking you to open our eyes in a new way, maybe to prayer this season, to what it means to have a personal relationship with you, to have communion with you. So Lord, we're asking now that you would... um, Give us sweet communion in your word and open the eyes of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are, you can be seated. We are zeroing in right on verses 11 through 12. Remember, there's been, the, the, the prayer starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's a Godward focus. And so now Jesus is going to pivot and he's going to put a spotlight on our needs, our material And our spiritual needs. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. So let me read it again. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Title this message, we are living in a material and a spiritual world. Okay? The material world, we're talking about the material world, we're talking about the spiritual world. Now, when we start talking about the material world, the queen of pop herself Famously sung what? We are living in what kind of world? Material world, and I'm a material girl, and I'm so disappointed in those of you who knew that, listening to that rank pagan music. Now, now before, we, before we hate too much on the queen of pop, Madonna, there's, there's something, she kind of stumbles into a, a little bit of a truth here. See, while we are fundamentally spiritual people, absolutely, and while each of us has a soul that will never die, And that's true for every human being in the history of planet Earth. We have to remember that we live out this life in a body. Jesus came in the flesh, not as a spirit that sort of hovered over the disciples, but as an actual man who who bled and sweated and died. You know, in fact, most of Jesus' life was not spent in performing miracles it was spent the first 27 or 30 years of his life working with his hands as a carpenter, walking, talking, eating with the disciples. These were the, these were the, the nuts and bolts of his life. And, and not only that, one day when Jesus comes back to set up his reign in the new heavens and the new earth, that's a real land. That's a real place. And, and guess what Jesus will give us when he comes back? a new what? Body. See, we're not going to exist eternally in heaven as sort of some disembodied soul that has a halo around them and a sort of set of wings attached to our back. Guys, we will be eating and drinking in heaven. And do you know what Isaiah 25 says we'll be drinking? Wine. Live it, love it, learn it, okay? And, And not just any wine, well aged wine, which is obviously the best. 
don't get down on me. Go to Isaiah, all right? Take it up with him. See, the material world is important to God. See, a lot of times we have this attitude that, you know, it's really the spiritual things in my life that God is most concerned about. You know, just how I pray, and do I go to church, and do I read the Bible, and do I share my faith, and all those are obviously important. But God cares about every single aspect of our lives, how we treat our bodies, what we do in our free time, how we allocate our resources, what we, what we do with our stuff. God cares about all of that. You know, and, and some of you may say, but yeah, 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 I get that, Pastor Paul. But doesn't Jesus say, you shall not live by bread alone? Jesus says that, right? To, the, to, the, to Satan in the wilderness being tempted. But listen to that. Yes, you don't live, live by bread alone, but what do you live by? Bread. You've got to have bread to live. I mean, you, you, you've got to have more than bread, but if you don't have bread, you, you can't function, you can't, you can't be alive, you can't live to, to glorify, to hallow God's name as we talked about last week. See, the text actually says, look there, it's translated, give us this day our daily bread, but the translation is actually literally, Lord, give us tomorrow's bread. See, and that was pretty relevant in that culture, wasn't it? Because there was no refrigerators. There, there were no meat lockers. There, there were no publics. And if you notice this, you know, Four Oaks is strategically, providentially positioned halfway between two publics. I think it's, I think it's wonderful, okay? <laughs> think about everything that had to happen for a meal to be put on the table in the ancient world. Okay, we're talking about crops and weather and rain and irrigation and natural disasters, invasion of armies, social unrest. See, daily bread, that wasn't an academic exercise in praying that. Daily bread was significant because life was precarious. Life was, was fragile. And I say, I say all that to say, I think of all the requests in the Lord's Prayer, it's the easiest to blow past this one. It's the easiest to take for granted. It's the one that seems most irrelevant because, let's face it, daily bread for the vast majority of us and even those we know is just kind of a, a given, right? No one, no one here really, really, and there are, there, there are some in our community, and I'm not, not disparaging that, but I think for most of us, the vast majority of us, we don't really think about this because there's always an accessible pile of money somewhere, Right? from a relative, or a loan, or our pantry, or our no-interest credit card. Heck, you can go pay $55 membership fee to Costco, and you can eat three meals a week for free. Okay, did you know this? You can walk around and sample, and it's a glorious thing. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that that's happened. Get a, for a buck fifty, a hot dog and a drink, daily bread, come on. Well, you know, we need to broaden our understanding, I think, a little bit of what Jesus means when he says daily bread. Luther notes that daily bread means not only food, but drink and clothes and house and land, and in that time, animals and goods. In other words, everything that has to align, everything that has to happen in order for life to happen, 
in order for us to function, in order for us to, to not only eat, but to get our kids places and for, for resources to be properly allocated. It, it sort of, this is a, Jesus' way of saying, you've got to pray for all, all of life. We're praying that God would order everything that we do, but yet, yet, it can be obtuse for us. It can be academic. So, so I, I encourage you to, to do an exercise. Okay, and, and, I, and I asked our staff to do this this week. The thing about whatever it is your job, however God provides money and resources for you, to start thinking about what actually has to happen in order for that to happen. What has to function correctly? Whose heart has to be moved? What need has to be generated? And, I, and, and I'll just use the example for our staff here at Four Oaks Church. And guys, before I say this, let me just say, the church does not exist to provide the staff jobs. That's not why the church exists. We, we exist to lead the church to be on mission, to shepherd and care and lead the church. And what that looks like in any particular season can change and, and be different. But, but nonetheless, I ask our staff to think about what's involved in receiving a paycheck from Four Oaks Church, which is you. Okay? And we're part of giving as well. But fundamentally, what's involved? And I said, you know, think about the idea that God had to save a people, no small feat, from their sins. Then he had to, like, bring them together in a church family. Then they had to grow to a point that they said, you know what? We need some leaders and pastors and elders to sort of work full time to serve and care for us. And then in those same people, I have to, God has to move in their hearts that they would give every week. You know, we don't send an invoice out at the beginning of the year. Josh wanted me to, but we're not, we're not going to do that. Okay? We're not sending we have to trust that God's provision will happen each and every week, which means that we have to trust that God is providing for you. Do you see that there's quite a bit involved with this daily bread thing? See, we're praying for, for no small thing when we pray that God would give us everything that we need. And what I think, folks, that Jesus is really after here, when he calls us to pray for our daily bread, He's really after your heart. He's really after your dependency. See, when, when Jesus gave this prayer, he probably had the exodus in mind. Remember, the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness. They were grumbling because they didn't have what? Their bread. So what did God do? He brought the meat at night, and he told the Israelites to gather it up. Then he brought the manna in the morning. And they would gather that up for 40 years. And what did, but what did Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, what did Moses tell the people not to do? Don't store any up. So if you were a little Jewish boy and you stored up your meat and put it in your pocket and took it to school the next day, it would be rotten, okay? And you would be expelled, okay? Or whatever. So, but why did, why did God tell them to do this? Because I think he wanted them to remember everything you have comes from me. You are dependent upon me for your daily bread. Never forget, Four Oaks, that, and it's so easy to be independent, autonomous, self-sufficient people and forget, without God, we have nothing. 
everything good comes from above. The earth is the Lord's, not ours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's, it's only in him, Acts 17 says, that we live and move and have our being. But let's be honest, it's so hard for us. It's so hard for me. It's so hard for me to lead my family into remembering that what we have comes from God. Because we just don't feel it. We're so affluent. We're often like the Jimmy Stewart character in Shenandoah. So I was growing up, I watched this old show with Jimmy Stewart movie. It's about a, about a farmer who's, who's kind of agnostic, hardened towards God. And they asked Jimmy Stewart's character to pray for the Thanksgiving meal. Okay? And, and here is what he prayed. He said, Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it. We sowed it. And we harvested it. We cooked the harvest. And it wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it now if we hadn't done it ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. Okay? Now, now none of us would quite be that bold and audacious to say something like that. Okay? But boy, doesn't it reflect some inward attitude of our heart? So, so this season... Personally, in your personal quiet times, family devotions, at the dinner table, with your roommates, with your friends, whoever you live life with, stop and think about the miracle of daily bread. And and, and let me tell you why I think it's so important for us to grab hold of this idea of dependency when it comes to our material needs. Folks, I think it sets a pattern and a template for how we perceive our spiritual needs. And it's to his spiritual needs that Jesus turns next. Look back at the text. So after we pray, give us this day our daily bread, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, the words debt and forgiveness, they both come from the world of commerce. They are commercial terms. They, they, the word debt literally means a weight owed. So, so I need 10 pounds of spice or five pounds of olive oil. That, that's your debt or that's the charge to my account. So, it's, so, it's, an, so it's, a, it's a commercial term, an actual weight or measurement. And this word forgive also comes from the commercial world, which means to erase or to, or to, or to blot out on the business ledger. So when you settled a debt, either with more items or sum of money, you, you, you erased that, that ledger, that debt on the ledger to signify I, I'm relieved of this burden. Now, I think that Jesus uses these terms. I think there's some significance to this idea of weight. Okay, So almost all of us, let me say this, know what it is to live under financial duress or financial crisis or crippling debts. Almost all of us have been there at some point in time. Some of you, I know, because I know your stories, you're there right now. And how oppressive that can feel on your heart. Remember in 2006, Susan and I, we had three children at the time. She was pregnant with number four, Virginia. And she was also the part-time children's director here at Four Oaks. And we knew that the church was growing and the needs were increasing. 
And we knew that, you know what, that position needs a full-time person. This is when Pastor Scott came on our team. And, and, and this is too much for home responsibilities. And so, so we brought Susan home. And there was a transitional phase, I will not lie. It was a scary time because financial needs were increasing. Income was decreasing. And so in the middle of all that figuring out, like, God, what are we going to do? How does this work? We made the mistake of going to see the movie Pursuit of Happiness. Have you ever seen that movie? Now, it's a wonderful movie. I love it. Will Smith. It's a real, based on a true story. Will Smith is an African-American um, guy wanting to be a stockbroker. And he had a job at a, at a local investment firm. But the problem was they didn't pay him. It was all, it was an internship. The other problem was that he was homeless. And he had a little boy he was taking care of. And so during the day, he would bring all of his belongings around in a, in, a, in a suitcase to the office. And then when the day was over, he would go get his son from school, and they would find some place to live or sleep. And it was different all the time, a homeless shelter or this place or that place. But there was one particular time that was just gut-wrenching. And they couldn't find anywhere to go. So they ended up in the middle of the night wandering into the San Francisco subway station and having to sleep all night in the men's bathroom. And they locked the door. And during the middle of the night, somebody was trying to get in to the bathroom. And, and, and Will Smith just starts to weep. And then you can feel like the weight of what he's under. And I'll be honest, like I was, I was doing what psychologists call transference, okay? And right at that moment... I was having a panic attack right in the middle of, I mean, seriously. And I was like, we've got to talk about this. And, you know, guys, that, and by the way, our financial weight is nothing compared to what some of you have experienced. Eviction notices, short sales, foreclosures, crippling credit card debt. Now, I think Jesus might be using these financial terms of debt, literally a, a weight to give us just a small taste of understanding the staggering spiritual debt we are all born into with God. Staggering. It, it, it makes the worst of our financial pressures just like a, a mere raindrop, a mere feather. See, Paul says it like this. He says, all have sinned. Everyone in this room, everyone in the history of planet Earth has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages or the result of that sin is death. Each and every person in the history of the world is born owing a debt to God for our sin that is eternally suffocating. This is why it's important that we understand this need, this dependency we have materially. But that's not enough. It sets the stage for understanding the deep, deep debt that all of us are under, born into because of our sin. And Jesus says, pray this, forgive us our debts. Now you may say, Pastor Paul, I, I don't understand this. I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. Jesus has died for me. I've trusted in him. Why? Am I supposed to continue to confess my sins? Why are we supposed to do this? Well, first of all, remember, this prayer is addressed to whom? Believers. Those who call God our Father through Jesus Christ. 
And what Jesus is wanting us to, to never forget is that by exercising this daily confessional rhythm as part of our Christian life, we maintain intimate union and connection with the God of the universe. See, we, we, our sins are forgiven once and for all on that cross. But when we go seasons, days, weeks, months, without confessing our sins, it's our relationship, it's our communion with God that is hindered. See, a lot of us have come in here this morning with a burdened conscience. And, and mankind will do almost anything to unburden his conscience. Because you know that some of the most prominent humanitarians and philanthropists in the world are staunch atheists? They, they, so, so, some of the people most hostile to God love their fellow man the most. And why is that? Because the soul has to find a way. The soul knows that it is under debt. And Jesus says there is only one place to resolve that, and that's at the cross. Jesus says this, and here, here's a, and by the way, if you're feeling that burden of conscience this morning, let me say something, that is a gift of God. That is a grace of God, so that you will come running to the cross. The only place that that debt will be relieved. Jesus has this promise for us, 1 John 1, 9. He who is faithful and just to confess his sins... God will be faithful and just to forgive that person his sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So this is, make no mistake, this is an audacious request. It's an audacious, bold, crazy, wild request. It's startling when we come to God and ask forgiveness for our debts, for our sins. In fact, it's so startling that this is the only request in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus adds kind of a parenthetical footnote at the end of the prayer. Look back down to verses 14 and 15. He says that, and then, then he says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Uh-oh, that sounds conditional. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, let me say, if, if, if that is tit for tat, if that is conditional, if that is you can't be forgiven unless you've perfectly, absolutely, positively forgiven every person in your life, can, can I just say, we, we are up a creek. <laughs> we, are, we are screwed up big time. And this is not academic for some of us. Some of us in here are, are, are wrestling with, with decades, some of us. Anger, resentment, bitterness at people who've done us wrong or injustices or lack of fairness. So this is not an academic exercise. Some of us, are, we, 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 we mouth it, we say, we've forgiven, but what do we say inside? But we have not forgotten, by golly. Which really means what? We haven't forgiven. What is Jesus driving at here? If you forgive others their trespasses, guys, that's a different word. Now, sometimes we have to be careful in Scripture that we, we don't build whole theologies around tiny, tiny little nuances, so I want to be careful here. 
But certainly the word for debt and the word for trespasses is different. Some scholars would say that the word debt is more sort of like a legal term, like your debt is forgiven or it's not forgiven. But trespasses is more a relational term, okay? That, that, that signifies a disrupt in communion or fellowship. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know, I wouldn't stake my whole life on, on that distinction, but I do think it accurately reflects what Jesus is saying here. There's two things that Jesus is saying that happen or that are important to understand as it relates to God's forgiveness of us and then how that relates to our forgiveness of others. Okay, and here's the first one. The forgiveness that Jesus speaks of here in verses 14 and 15 is personal, not positional. And let me explain that. See, I I often joke about all of you who drive the church every Sunday and get in an argument as a family, and which I don't have to worry about because I never ride to church with my family, okay? <laughs> Except at Christmas, where we decided to go to the Midtown congregation to worship incognito, so to speak. And guess what we did all the way down there? Argued about the Polar Express soundtrack or something like that, something in a, I don't even know. And so we walked into that, to the church that morning with kind of icky feelings, kind of a relational disrupt. Now understand, positionally, legally, nothing has changed. I am still married to Susan, even though at that moment she wishes she was not married to me, okay? Our children are still our children, although we wish they weren't at that moment, okay? But legally, positionally, nothing's changed. But personally, ooh, there's distance and there's unresolved feelings and all those sorts of things. And I, here's part of what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if, Four Oaks, if you haven't forgiven someone, if you haven't forgiven your brother or sister, then your communion and fellowship with them is going to be hindered. Okay? It's hard to be close to someone you're angry at, right? By the same token, if you have bitterness, anger between your brother, not only is there relational distance between you two, but there's also relational distance between you and me. This is why John says, you cannot say that you love God and hate your brother. This is why Jesus says, when you come to the altar, and if, if you remember that there's something going on, heart to heart, personal with someone, and there's something unresolved, and there's angerness and bitterness, leave the altar Go make it right with your brother and then come back. That's what Jesus says. See, husbands, there's a real premium place upon us to be peacekeepers in our homes. We can't come in here and say everything's awesome and great, but then us be forces of unrest. This is what Peter has to say about our marriages. This is really convicting. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So let me stop there. So why? Why do that? So husbands, it'll go better for you. You'll get better meals. You get to watch the NFL playoffs this afternoon, you know, all that stuff, which all that has its place, okay? But fundamentally, that's not why. So that, listen to this, men, that your prayers may not be hindered. Ooh, you see something when, when there's a relational breakdown here horizontally, God said there's a breakdown vertically. 
and, and don't play this spiritual game. Go, go deal with your business. I think that's part of what Jesus is saying here. Number two. So first of all, the forgiveness Jesus speaks here is personal, not positional. And number two, I think the forgiveness Jesus speaks of here is barometrical, kind of, we conjured that one up, okay, not conditional. Okay, a, a barometer, your phones go off, what, two hours ago and say, stay inside. And all you crazy people came here, but God bless you for doing that, right? Okay, so there, there's an indicator, a barometer's an indicator. I think what Jesus is saying here is that when we have difficulty, like it, let me put it this way. If forgiving others or living in unforgiveness is habitual, when it's endemic to your life, when, 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 when wherever you go, there is a relational carnage that follows you, and that sort of disunity characterizes our relationships, I think what Jesus is saying, that could be an indicator of whether we truly understand what biblical forgiveness is. Let me try to help us understand that. When when you ask God to forgive you, I want you to think about what you are really asking, what I'm really asking. See, See, when we ask God to forgive us, we're not asking God to excuse our sin. We're not asking God to make excuses for our sin. We're not asking God to act like our sin never happened, to ignore it. No, no, no. When we confess our sins as the Lord's Prayer tells us to do, we are coming to God and we are fully acknowledging it. We are telling the truth about ourselves. And then, but listen, listen to what we're asking them. But then we're asking God to have someone else pay for it. See, that sin incurs a debt. And that debt is owed to someone in this, and in this situation, God. And so we're asking God to have Jesus bear our sin for us. That's what we're asking God to do. So if we are people who claim to have forgiveness in Christ, yet don't practice it towards others, here's kind of what we're really saying. And I put this, in, put this as a quote on the board, because I think this makes it real. If you are someone here this morning who claims the forgiveness of Christ, but you are just inside about something, Here's what we're really saying. God, I want justice done. I want that person to hurt like I hurt, feel like I feel, suffer like I suffer, no mercy for him. Punish them and make them pay the debt. See, that's, that's what we're really saying when we, when we don't forgive. And what we're also saying is, Father, I can take my stand before you based upon the work of the cross but he or she can't. See, that's what Jesus is driving at. See, by coming to him daily and asking him to forgive us our sins, we're better understanding what forgiveness truly is. And and I don't want to gloss this over, folks. Forgiveness is hard. I do think it's true the greater the sin the harder it is to forgive. And that's why the disciples said, well, Jesus, how many times do we do this thing? 70 times 7. It's like your kid's saying, infinity, infinity. Okay, that, that's what Jesus is saying. 
And this is why the disciples were like, well, pfft, increase our faith? <laughs> this is crazy. Okay? But just remember this. As hard as it might be for us to forgive, remember, it's nothing compared to the debt, to the eternal weight of sin that Jesus bore for you and for me. And as we come to the table this morning, remember, we're not just celebrating a vertical reality and truth, although we are, but we're celebrating a horizontal one. That because Jesus has forgiven us, taken on that debt, whatever hurt that you've incurred in relationship, and let me just say, we're not denying it. It's real. That's why it hurts. But through the cross, the gospel, we are absorbing that and saying, that's not mine to bear anymore. Only by the grace of God is this possible.